Um, before I get too far into this, also, um, can I bother you guys? We have like friends here from Columbus. Would you guys like just welcome? Just give them a. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy, and Tara Johnson uh, were uh, when Jerry and I first connected, first time connected with a small group. Uh, you guys came like the next week, right? Like within the next month. And so we met them when we first started going to small group uh, and have just like, I mean, the whole time we were in Columbus, like been in various groups together. And uh, so they braved the cold. How cold was it when you were, they went to Punxsutawney? One degree. How many of the rest of you went to Punxsutawney? Did you really? I was about to say all the locals know you don't go there, but (laughs) Brittany goes. Wow. The cold? Miserable? You'll never do it again. Once in a lifetime. Okay. 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 What was the call? Hey, what can't you tell? It is spring for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get started. And uh, hopefully this week we're going to have, uh, begin to have messages available. Like if you want, if you missed like last week, hopefully this week uh, I'm going to work with Steph and we're going to see if we can have them available somewhere on that website that we have. So um, you, can, you can look for it there. Just keep looking. Every time you do, Google sends me this thing saying, people are looking at your website. So anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, that's actually true. Um, so let's get started. Let's dive in here. Um, we started last week this sort of, I thought it was awful, if I say this, awful hip, which makes me immediately not hip, <laughs> series that we've called Keeping It 100, right? Uh, and, and let me explain it a little bit. Those of you who, uh, who would say, well, what does keeping it 100 mean? I don't know what that means. Keeping it 100 is like we're keeping it real. We just want to keep it real, right? And this kind of follows on uh, a few weeks ago, we had this conversation out of Acts 2, 42 to 47. You guys remember that where we talked about, like, what did the early church look like? And it's marked by radical community, right? That there's something about This thing of following Jesus that's marked by just radical community, radical devotion to other people. And so, uh, as I I told you guys, I'm somewhat of a hard-headed follower of Jesus. And so, uh, when God said, this year we want to to move towards 100% of the people who come on Sunday involved in small groups, I said, how about 70? 75. I was like trying to negotiate with God. Um, Because, you know, if, if any of you know church statistics... Like, to get, like, 70% of your small group, at, like, of the church to be a part of a small group is, like, super success. Like, just so you understand, like, how radical this goal is. When I was a small group leader in Columbus, they, radi- they, they regularly told us that we were at about 50%. Giant church, 50% were part of a small group regularly. They were like, man, if we could get that up a little bit, like, 60 would be a win, 70 would be great. And so when, when God said 100%, I was like, how about like 70? How about like 80? I mean, I, I, 80, let's do that. And God said, no, I want 100% of the people who call me Lord to be involved in the kind of community that I create. And so I came to you guys and I said, hey, uh, we're after 100% this year. I, I, can I be really honest? Will you guys let me be like really honest? I, I'm going to keep it 100 that scares me. 
This idea of like 100% of you guys connected in a group. Because what happens if you don't make it? And then God's like, yeah, that's my problem. Okay, that's cool. So we started this series, though. Like, what is, like, this radical community? Like, what is this stuff that Jesus is calling us to? What's it based on? And and what we found is, like, there's this, like, very real Christianity, right? Like, we want to keep it very real. We want to keep it 100. We want this to be, like, really what the Bible calls us to, right? Like, we don't want something less than what Scripture calls it. Do you, I mean, maybe you do. Do you want something less than what Scripture calls you to? Nobody said yes. That's good. That's a positive thing. We're, we're doing all right. But the other reason we call this keeping it 100 is because we're like, we want to constantly have in front of us that 100% of us are called to radical community. So that number 100 to me was like, let's keep that in front of ourselves. Like, that that's what we're called to. And so we're, we, we started this series last week, and I preached the... Uh, the uh, always um, thrilling message about Jesus calling you to die. How many of you went home and uh, you were like, wow, that was an uplifting message about Jesus calling us to die. It will be available hopefully tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I told, I told <laughs> side note, told a pastor friend of mine, I said, yeah, he, he, yesterday he called me and was like, what are you, you know, what are you preaching on this week? And I told him, and I said, well, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit better than last week's message. He goes, yeah, what's that? I said, well, last week I, week I told everybody they had to die. And he was like, oh, <laughs> okay, well, that's what, that's, what, that's what they're called to. So today we're going to talk about this idea of loving one another. Loving one another. That's what we're after, right? That, that over and over, if you read Scripture cover to cover, that what you come across is this understanding that we're called to love one another, right? Like anybody read Scripture and not find that. Those of you who are reading through the Bible with me in one year, have you, have you seen that? That that's the call on our lives, that that's what we're after. And so we're going to look at, at uh, this passage from John. Now, John is the Apostle John. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he wrote that book, uh, spent time with Jesus. John, in his book, if you've ever read the book of John from you know, front to back, what you find is John doesn't refer to himself as John in that book. You guys know what he refers to himself? Anybody know? He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Isn't that great? Like, can you imagine, like, if that was a marker of your life? That, that when people were like, when you're referring to yourself, you're like, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Like, if that was true of your life, wouldn't that be awesome? Anyway, so, so John writes about himself as the disciple Jesus loves. And then he writes this letter later on. And it's 1 John. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We have Bibles on these pillars. If you have a phone... You can turn there or flip there. Uh, but like I said, we have the analog version you can take home uh, with you. First uh, John, and so John writes this letter to Christians, and we're going to be in chapter 4. And John writes this letter to combat false teaching. And that's most of the letters in later on in Scripture, is like combating false teaching. Like here's, how you, here's how you identify a false teacher. And so John says, you want to know how to identify a false teacher? The way you identify a false teacher is, do they love one another? Is the product of their lives love for one another? That's what John says. So here, we're going to read uh, 1 John 4, begin in verse 7. And we're going to read a lot. And what I want you to hear is just catch how many times the word love comes up. This is uh, beginning at verse 7. It says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love 
does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Did you catch that? Kind of a one-track mind, right? It's all about love. Do you see how many times? I mean, how many of you are counting? Anybody count? How many? Oh, okay. 27, 28. All right. It's just whichever version of the Bible you're in, I guess, maybe. I don't know. So... The question we ought to ask as we read this, uh, to me, is fairly apparent. Have you ever seen a relationship between two people where they have different definitions of love? Where the husband says, I've been loving her to the best of my ability, and she says, I don't really feel loved. You guys, I mean, how many of you married couples have done like the, the five love languages? How many of you dating couples, like, right? So you guys are familiar with that book? Like, there's this idea that, that sometimes we define love in different ways, right? So the question we ought to ask, rather than imposing our understanding of love on this passage, is we ought to say, well, what is love? Dun, 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 right? <laughs> Jeff. What do we think about? What are we talking about? What is love? And, and I think if, we're, if we were, you know, kind of aware of culture, what does culture say love is? Love is a feeling, Right? Love is how we feel. Love is how, you know, I love you because you, how you make me feel, right? Like, you make me feel a certain way, so therefore I love you. It's driven by what the object of our affections does for us. That's our cultural, I mean, if, if you don't know that, you, go, you guys, uh, a few of you did this last time. Walk down the street and just start interviewing people. Ask them, like, what is love? I bet you find out it's, like, very feeling-based. Feeling it's like, I love you because you f further my societal progress. I just came across that online. I love you because you bring out the best in me. I love you because you make me happy, right? And all of these are sort of like a differing level of commitment, right? We love based on a level of commitment. And it's not far from the Greek, like the Greek has six words for love. It's not far from this. Like the Greek uh, language has these six based on levels of commitment words for love, like philia, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? 
It's brotherly love. It's like the way that, that we friends feel. Like, man, I love you like my brother, right? We're, we're, we're like, anyway, sorry. Didn't know where I was going with that. But so, so there's like brotherly love or, or love between friends. There's eros. You can probably figure that one out. It's sexual passion. Storgi, which is familial love. It's like an instinctual thing. Like you have a kid and you instinctively love that kid. Uh, or, or pragma, which is enduring love. Like you, you guys have seen married couples that have been married a really, really long time. And they've like, there's a, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Um, <laughs> but right, like, but you've seen like there's this sort of way that a love of a long married couple enables them to live life together for a long period of time. It's a different quality of love, right? Or, or there's, a, there's a word, I don't know, felucia? I don't know. I'm not exactly uh, Greek pronunciation, but like the love of self, like how I feel about myself. And all of these words convey a, a, a love that's triggered by something externally. It conveys a, a love that's like uh, that you make me feel a certain way. It's, it's triggered by your existence or what you do. But the Greek language has one more word for love. It's agape. You guys ever heard that word? Like everybody uses that word like, just, just use the word agape for everything. It's divine love. It's God's love for man. What is agape? And I, I came across this definition. I think it works really, really well. It'll come up on the screen. Love or agape, whether used of God or man, is an earnest an anxious desire for, and an active and beneficent interest in the well-being of the one loved. Catch that? In other words, agape love is entirely interested in and completely desires what's best for the one loved, regardless of cost to self. See that very often? That's God's love, right? That's how God loves. In other words, God loves selflessly for your benefit. This is, how, this is how God loves. And the reason he loves this way is it comes from who he is. Look at verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Or skip down to verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And here's some really good news. God is love. Like, that's really good news. God is love. It's his essence. It's his nature. It's who he is. I thought we were going to sing that song. Because God is love, it's what he does. He loves. And he loves you. Do you catch that? He loves you. I mean, many of us probably, if we're really honest, we struggle with this understanding that God loves us, right? I mean, if you're really honest, you don't have to shake your head or put your hand up, but I, I, I know this because it's me too. But, like, we struggle with this idea that God actually loves us, right? We can get it here, get it in our head, right? You can even say it. God loves me. God loves everybody. But in the, like, the secret place, when you're evaluating it here, you're like, I just am not quite sure. I just don't really feel feel like God loves me, right? If we're being honest, like that's probably many of your story. Like when you're in the secret place, you're constantly wondering, do I measure up? Am I lovely enough to God? 
I mean, that's probably for, for many of us, that's our story. Some of us have gone about our whole lives always feeling like we have to prove ourselves, right? Like, if I just do a little more of the right things and a little less of the wrong things, then maybe God will love me. Or, or for some of us, it's like, maybe if I just do more Christian things, right? Maybe if I just take on a little bit more Christian responsibilities, if I just run another Bible study, if I just go share my faith five more times, if I just take on another worship set or another obligation, another Christian thing, if I just, if I just get enough Christian things, then maybe God will love me, right? Like that's probably many of our stories. I know that at the beginning of starting this whole church thing, I was chasing everything, hoping that maybe God would find me acceptable. That if I just did enough Christian things, God would love me. Even though I would say, for some of you who were here in those early days, God loves us all, right? But down here, was I really sure? I think that's probably a lot of our story. But here's the really, really, really good news is that God's love for you is not based on what you have done or not done. God's love's not based on you at all. God's love is based on his unchanging nature. It is who he is. God's love for you is based on the reality that God is love. He's always been love. He'll always be love. There's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you less than he does right now. And there's nothing you could ever do that will make God love you more than he does right now. And for some of us, maybe that's our story. We need to know that as true. God loves you. God's love for you is not dependent on you. And I mean, isn't that great? Some of you are like, I don't know. Not really sure. Whatever. God's love is dependent on him. It's not you. It's not you, it's him. I found that funny. <laughs> I mean, isn't that good news? Uh, like, seriously. Like, when you think, like, you have to get that, like, in you. Do you understand that God's love for you is not based on you? It's not based on how many days you read the Bible in a row. It's not how, many, how great your comments are in the group about whatever scripture passage. It's not based on any of these things. It's not based on you. It's not shakable like that. In a world where everything is shaking, where People are in love today and out of love tomorrow. Where friends love you today and they disappear tomorrow. Isn't it great that the unchanging love of God is a constant in our lives? I mean, isn't that a fabulous thing? It will never change. It's true for you and it's true for everyone you will ever meet. That's some of us, that's, that's a hard thing to get our head around, right? Well, I want God to love me unconditionally, but I don't really those people, right? Those people that I argue with on Facebook, right? That hold a different political opinion than I do, right? I mean, the past couple weeks has been a little bit nasty, right? In the Facebook world. You know, God loves those people. It might be hard for you. We'll pray for you for that. <laughs> this is agape. It's God's love. And yet... All through this passage, John uses it with respect to how those who follow Jesus should love each other. Did you catch that? Like that word through there, love, love, love. It's the same word, it's agape. Like John, like John had all kinds of other options. He could have said, well, you know, because God has agape loved you, 
you can now phileo love each other like a friend, like really good friends. You can love each other like really good because God has agape loved you. You can friendship love one another. Maybe you could have taken a bigger step, right, like a little bit further down the road. Because God has agape loved you, you can astorge love each other like a family. I mean, that'd be cool, right? Now we're getting somewhere. When you're here, you're family, right? Or how about like God has agape loved you, you can pragma, you, you can love each other like long-standing married people. There's commitment in that one. Like now we're kind of getting somewhere, right? And, and let me just say, I believe if we looked at our church, if we looked at the church in America, we'd call these wins, wouldn't we? Doesn't the church refer to that as a win? Everybody gets a friend. For everyone, a family. These are wins, right? This is what the, the Christian church in America is aimed at. Name one church that wouldn't be excited to be able to offer friendship to everyone who comes through the door. Some of you have been part of churches where that's the goal, right? We get friends for everybody. Or, or you know, like name one church that wouldn't be ecstatic if everybody was loved like family. We love you like family, and we eat meals together, and we have all these really cool things, and you're like our family. And, and that would be like a win, right? And I've probably even said stuff like that. Like, what church wouldn't be excited to be able to say, hey, you don't have family, but you do here. We're your family. And I think the way that the churches work in America, these are the goals, right? Isn't this the goal? Isn't this the aim? And along comes the Apostle John, and he says, you failed. You shoot too low. Ouch. Right? I mean, isn't that, how's that for a little bit of, a, of an indictment? John says, God has agape loved you, so therefore agape love one another. Love one another like God loves you. And get this, John says, if you don't do this, you ready for this? This hurts. If you don't do this, if your life is not marked by the kind of love God gives you, that's not how you love other people. John says, you don't know God. Does that scare you? Is that like, that hurts a little bit, right? Like, ouch. Like, and then he says this, it's like, as if that's not enough. Verse 9, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He says, you want to know what your model is? You want to know how to model this? Like if you need something to like look at and go, here's, let me see how I can do this. He says, here's your model. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Love one another in such a way that it may cost you everything. I mean, look around the room for a minute. Like seriously, take a second. Look around at people at the room. How many of you would say, that's how I do my love with the people in this room? Or if this is not your home, like if, if the Vineyard Altoona is not your home church. When you think about your home church, your home community, you look around and you go, that's how I love these people. That it would cost me everything for their benefit. I mean, take stock. I can be honest before God. Is that how you do life? Do you have any relationships that are that way? It's, I mean, I think it's worth being honest about it. John, uh, Jesus says in John 13 that the way people will know we're his disciples is how we love each other. 
that people will look at the way that we love each other and they'll be like, only God loves that way. God must be among them. Look at how they love each other. Is there enough evidence to convict you as a disciple? I know it's uncomfortable. I'm horribly uncomfortable thinking about this. And I'm sure I'm making many of you very uncomfortable. And you're like, okay, Derek, turn the corner. Where's the, where's, I know how these messages go. There's a grace moment, right? Now I just gave away my secret. Um, Turn the corner. But here's the deal. I think we all want to go, yes, absolutely, I love that way. Right? We want to say, yes, that's, that's true of me. But if I'm completely honest, I look at my life and I go, man, I come up lacking a lot of times. A lot of times. And I would bet if you evaluate your life, I bet you that you do too. And here's the tendency, at least in me and maybe in you. The tendency is go, well, I'm just going to work harder, right? I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to be better. I'm going to write it on my my mirror that I'm going to agape love everybody I see, and I'm going to like, right? Like, how do you, I mean, I don't know how you guys do it. Tie a string around your finger. Put What would Jesus do around your wrist? I mean, whatever you do to, you know, I'm going to set an alarm on my phone to agape love whoever's around when it goes off. Like, <laughs> I'm going to try harder. And here's the thing. If you do that, you miss it entirely. You can't try harder. Let me explain why. I spent a little time trying to dig around uh, how many of you have heard of the term secular humanist? You heard of that term? Let me explain to you what a secular humanist is. A secular humanist is someone who believes that humans can accomplish all the goodness possible in humanity. That there's no need to create this character of God to do all the things that, we, that Christian people would say God does, like healing. Like we can come up with those things. We can invent medicines and these kinds of things. And we can totally work towards world peace and we don't need a God to do it. That, that inside of the human resides the capability to fix every worldly problem and to come up with all the goodness in the world. This is what humanists believe. And so I spent a little bit of time poking around on, on the internet for what do humanists believe about love? Like, what does the humanist believe about love? And so I, was, I started, I was like, we should have a definition, right? We should, I mean, I'm going to look, like, what is the humanist definition of love? And I found out two things. Number one, there isn't one. There is no singular humanistic, like, love definition. And number two, where there's an attempt at describing what love is by a humanist, it always comes out in a transactional kind of thing. That love, if we were going to use that word as a humanist, is transactional. My love is dependent for how you make me feel. My love for you is dependent on what you can do for me or how you better my life. So in other words, humanistic understanding of love is self-seeking entirely. Even the most selfless, selfless level of humanistic love is I love you for what you do to better the society I'm a part of. It's the most selfless. Like, you better all of us, so I love you. That's the most selfless expression. Now, why am I telling you this? Why did I do this? I'm telling you this because if it were possible for you to agape love people by trying harder, the humanists would have figured it out. If it were possible for you to just do more, to just do better, to just like 
will it into existence, the humanist would have come up with a way to do that. And yet everything the humanist says love is, is those first five words in Greek. And it leaves out the sixth. And why is that the case? It's because of what John says in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. It says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You can't just naturally create agape love because it's foreign to you. It's the love God has for humanity. And we live in this busted world. Every last one of us is born into, into a sinful world where self-centeredness rules. And so if you want to follow the humanistic aim, it's to be the most selflessly self-centered. That's, that's, that's the best we can come up with, is to be selflessly self-centered. And we lie to ourselves. But you see, as we talked about last week, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you died. You died to everything of your old life, and you were born again. You came through death, and you were born again. And, and John says you are born of God. This has a very big implication. Galatians 2.20 says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have died, come through death, and been born of God with the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you now have the capacity, as God does, to extend agape love to people. That's the only way it comes to be in the world. Everything else falls short. And so how do you know if somebody's a true or a false teacher? Do they love people the way God loves people? How do you know if you're really a follower of Jesus? Do you love people the way God loves people? You can't will your way into this. You can't, like, try harder. You have to die. Coming back to what I said last week, you have to die. It's the only way forward. So practically, let me wrap this up. What does it look like to actually engage in the biblical command to love one another? What does that actually look like? So you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you have agape love for people in your heart. How do I do this, right? How do I flesh this out? What does this look like? How do I make this happen? Well, we just looked around and most of you probably looked around and go, well, I don't know them. I don't know him. I don't know her. I don't know him. I sort of know his name. I don't really know most of these people, right? And you thought, how do I agape love all these people I don't know? You can't. That's a simple answer, right? How do I go about doing this? Well, it's simple, but it's not easy. You live life on life with people. You can't live life on life with all, I don't know how many people are here. What is it, 60, 70, something like that? You can't live life on life with that many people. You have to live life on life with a select few people. Day in day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. We go through marriages, we go through death, we go through births, we go through miscarriages. We go through highs, we go through lows, we have fun together, we study scripture together, we cry together. The people that I have the deepest relationship with in my life have been through some of the worst things that I've ever been through. That doesn't happen in a room like this. 
And as this room continues to get fuller and fuller and fuller, like there's no chairs back there anymore. As this room gets bigger and bigger, the capability to agape love people in this room becomes impossible. Beyond that, I want to tell you a story. There's, there was these, Jerry and I went to this church uh, in Terre Haute, Indiana. Steve Martin called it the armpit of America. Um, this church, and, and, and we went to a Sunday night service for a year. Every Sunday, we sat in the same place behind the same two ladies for a year. Every year, uh, or every week, we'd, we'd come, we'd talk to them. And the one, lady, the one lady's name was Crazy Hands Girl. I don't know what her name actually is. But her name was Crazy Hands Girl because in worship, she was like this. <laughs> like you could get hit because her hands are so crazy. <laughs> and Jerry was like, she's Crazy Hands Girl. CH for short. The other girl, she called Good Hair Girl, GH. For 12 months, actually a little bit more, it's like more like 14 months, we sat behind these same two people. Every service, talked to them every service, every week for an hour and a half, we're with these people. You know, I still don't know their names, probably never will. How easy is it to love them the way God loves them if I don't know them? That's true here. You can't actually love people the way God loves you in a room like this. That's not what it's designed for. This worship gathering is not designed for other things. You want to practice this biblical command to love one another, it happens in small groups. That's how we do it. We do it in small groups. That's why they're starting again this week. We do this through small groups. It's a small group of people, like 15 or less. Some of the groups we were in was like 25. It's not really a small group, I guess. But 15 or less, where you live life with these people. Now listen, here's what I'm not calling you to do. Agape love is not codependent love. Just because you agape love people does not mean you have to like give them unfettered access to everything in your life. And you don't have to like, you don't have to become codependent. You love them the way God loves them. You, you're after their best, but that doesn't mean that you owe them every, like, access to every area of your life. We're talking about healthy relationship here, not codependency. That's something altogether different. I've just seen that play out. But here's the deal. That's the space where this stuff happens. So here's what we're going to